Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fits on Fantasy. I'm Patrick Forrest. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And my guest this week is Dave Kluge. He is a fantasy analyst for Football Guys and the host of the excellent Launchpad podcast. Also an all-around great guy. Find him on Twitter at Dave Kluge. Welcome back, Dave. Great to have you with me again. Yeah, and great to be here, man. It's always a good time when you and I get to talk football. So uh, looking forward to seeing what today's show has in store for us. It absolutely is. And, uh, you know, we can set our rivalry aside as a uh, Packer fan here and you being a Bears fan. Our teams did not make the playoffs. Um, And you know what, Dave, before we get to the fantasy football portion of the show, I've got to ask, what were your biggest takeaways from the divisional round of the NFL playoffs? Is there anything that really jumped out to you? Yeah, that uh, Patrick Mahomes is a better quarterback on one foot than most guys are on two feet. I mean, it's kind of unbelievable that you see this guy hobbled to the point where he can put almost no pressure on his foot whatsoever. And I was tweeting, you know, you got to get Patrick Mahomes out of the game. And they still just kept going with him. And, you know, they they pulled out the wind. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty unbelievable what that guy can do. I mean, you just can't bet against him at this point. It really is. And um, what a great quarterback matchup we're going to get in the AFC. And um, Joe Burrow, just like not to toot my own horn here, but last offseason, I think I was one of the few people who had him rated ahead of Justin Herbert, both in Dynasty and Redraft. And now I'm wondering if he isn't the second best quarterback in the NFL. And like, I'm not picking on Josh Allen after, you know, by his standards, a subpar game. Certainly, if you're the Bills, uh, you're thrilled to have him. You know, he's done Buffalo Nation proud. But um, I don't know. Like, Burrow is just so special, man. Uh, This guy just, like, answers the call every time. And here he is playing without three starting offensive linemen. They had already lost Lael Collins. Then they lost Jonah Williams and Alex Kappa. And it just didn't matter. Like, he just... uh, carved up that Bills defense and credit to the the Bills offensive line. I mean, like they played great. I did not, I, I just thought that was going to be such a big problem for them and it wasn't a problem at all. And, and I don't want to take anything away from Joe Burrow. He's been fantastic, but I feel like I've been having this kind of thought exercise all day today where I've been wondering what happens if you put Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen on this team with that, you know, uh, really positive pass rate and with, uh, you know, Jamar Chase and T Higgins, what could some other quarterbacks look like in that situation? I mean, it really is. He's a very talented quarterback, but he's also in a prime situation for fantasy quarterbacks. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm ready to move him ahead of Josh Allen yet. I think Mahomes and Allen are still the clear cut one and two, but yeah, Burrow is breathing right on their necks. Yeah, and it's true. He does have fantastic pass catchers, and that's certainly part of the allure in fantasy. Um, Let's stick with the quarterback position in fantasy, Dave. And I guess since you are a Bears fan who also happens to be a fantasy analyst, um, I'm really eager to talk to you and pick your brain on Justin Fields. Because for some people, the opinion of Justin Fields as a fantasy quarterback and the opinion of Justin Fields as a real life quarterback diverge. We're going to have three months of discussion about what the bears should do with the number one pick in the draft and whether they should consider fields, their quarterback of the future. What do you think the bears should do with the number one pick and should they regard fields as their quarterback of the future? 
Well, I got to say, man, I mean, uh, the, the Bears locked up that number one overall pick with just that unbelievable win by Houston on Sunday afternoon. And by Monday evening, I was already pretty tired of the discourse. I mean, it's all <laughs> and you knew it was going to happen. You know, the Bears land into a number one overall pick with Bryce Young coming into the draft. Obviously, there's going to be discussion and speculation there. But I don't know how you could watch Justin Fields this year and not at least give him another chance going into next season. I mean, this guy was almost uh, breaking records on the ground as a rusher, which, sure, I, I understand the argument that you want to see your quarterback throwing a little bit more. But having no offensive line, having no receiving weapons whatsoever, this guy was still a human highlight reel every single week. So I think now that they have this position with the number one overall pick and they've got over $100 million in salary cap this year, I think that it would be a disservice to the fans and Justin Fields if they don't give him a chance and kind of push in the chips this year to see what they can do. Now, unfortunately, it's not the best year. Uh, you know, having that number one overall pick, they'll have to navigate a little bit to work their way down in the draft and hopefully acquire some more picks there. Looking at the available wide receivers, also not some of the best names available, but with that draft capital, I'm really hoping that they can work out some sort of trade to bring in the wide receiver one that Justin Fields so desperately needs. I really like Cole Komet. I like Darnell Mooney. Heck, if we're getting down the list, I don't even hate Chase Claypool, but those guys aren't number one targets. We saw Jalen Hurts take a massive step forward when he got A.J. Brown. We saw the same with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. If the Bears can go out and get a young ascending talent, whether it be DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, T. Higgins, whoever it may be, I think that you've got to do that to see what Justin Fields can do with a true wide receiver one. So that, that that's the, the route that I hope they take this offseason. Yeah, and maybe... If that happens, we'll see the offense look a little bit more like what the Eagles offense looked like this year and not so much of just um, being built around Justin Fields running ability, which seems like a pretty tough way for Fields to go. If you're going to get him through a 17 uh, game regular season, uh, you know, that guy just I know there were a lot of kill shots that he took this year and it was kind of tough to watch at times and like you don't want to expose your potentially franchise quarterback to that kind of punishment um i mean do you think like that's i don't know do you imagine that they'll be a little bit aggre less aggressive with him as a runner if they do upgrade the wide receivers Absolutely. And and uh, he didn't have a ton of design runs. You know, it's not like they were going into the game plan saying, all right, you know, we need Justin Fields to carry the ball 15 times for 150 yards today. It's just that the play would develop and not a single wide receiver was able to get open. And then the offensive line would break down. Most of those were scramble drills that he just turned into highlight real plays. So I'm, I'm really hoping. I mean, we know that he can throw the ball well. We saw him consistently. He wasn't a runner at all when he was at Ohio State. I mean, rack up a little bit of yards here and there's a scrambler, but really he was a pocket passer at Ohio State. So we know he has that ability. I'm hoping that they can beef up the offensive line and get him a little bit of extra time and then get him one more strong weapon, a true wide receiver one. I'm hoping that we can see him, I hate to say regress, but maybe revert back to the player that we saw in college who was a very confident thrower. Now, um, you mentioned the free agent market and, uh, you know, how it's relatively weak at wide receiver. It's not so weak at running back. And we're going to talk more about general free agency in a minute. But first, with David Montgomery hitting free agency, um, either the Bears re-sign him or they, you know, add running back help in free agency and or the draft. Uh, but whichever path they choose, Khalil Herbert is going to be an important piece in Chicago's 2023 backfield. I'm a Packers fan, Dave, and yet I love Herbert. I mean, it looks like he's been shot out of a cannon whenever he takes a handoff. 
I mean, is it just me or is there maybe lead back potential with this guy? No, I, I love Khalil Herbert as well. But you know what I kind of noticed this year is that he's a little bit of a one-trick pony. As far as a pure runner, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm exaggerating when I say that he's up there with the best of them. I mean, you can put him up there with Nick Chubb as far as just being a pure running back. But unfortunately, that's all he does. He led the league in yards per attempt. He led the league in rushing yards over expectation per attempt. But as a pass catcher, he doesn't really do anything too special at all. And he is a massive liability as a pass blocker. So far, the word out of Chicago has been that the front office is pretty animate in trying to get David Montgomery to return. Um, the the new staff, uh, they've gushed about his leadership abilities and how much the locker room loves him and all this. So I think that unfortunately, we see the same duo for the next few years in Chicago. What I think we'll see is uh, Herbert showing that he is the far superior talent as a runner, getting the early down and goal line work. Well, I think David Montgomery kind of starts to work into a role that probably suits him a little bit better, just as the passing down guy. Um, not only is he great at catching passes, but he can break tackles in the open field, and he's a very good pass blocker as well. So I think that they're a pretty strong duo if you can have the two of them. Really, though, there's just no business running David Montgomery on early downs. And I think that what we're going to see is Khalil Herbert kind of take over the majority of that early down work while David Montgomery gets retained in Chicago and becomes their passing down specialist. Now, you referenced the Chase Claypool. Um, well, you referenced Claypool himself. And much has been made about the Bears trade for him. How do you feel about that deal and how much optimism do you have for Claypool? Well, my gut reaction at the time of the trade is that it was terrible. Um, I graded it an F for the Bears and an A-plus for the Steelers, and I got shredded by Bears Nation for that take because everyone was saying, you know, we need that wide receiver one for Justin Fields. Well, spoiler alert, as I'm sure everybody saw this year, Chase Claypool is not that wide receiver one that we need so bad. And then once that second rounder turned into what's essentially a late first, you know, the Dolphins right. giving up their first round pick this year, it's going to be the 32nd pick in the draft that we gave up for Chase Claypool. I don't know how the Pittsburgh Steelers managed to do this. They drafted Claypool in the middle of the second round. They had one somewhat promising rookie year, followed by two years of disappointment, and then were able to flip him for more draft capital than they invested in him. I mean, props to the Pittsburgh Steelers for being able to pull this up. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I think we should have kind of seen this summing, coming. We, we know that the Steelers are great at drafting and developing wide receivers. And then they drafted Pickens, they extended Deontay Johnson, and they put Chase Claypool on the trade block. We should have read the tea leaves there and said, hey, maybe Claypool isn't that good, but whatever, we gave up a 32nd overall pick for him. Either way, uh, you know, Chase Claypool is a great athlete, uh, but I just don't think that he's got what it takes to be a pure wide receiver one. He's kind of a younger and slower version of MBS. That's what I see. He struggles a lot with concentration, struggles a lot with drops. So I think that if we can get to the point where, you know, some of these big, gaudy, audacious names that I've been throwing out there, DK Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, T. Higgins, if we could end up with one of those guys and then we can have Darnell Mooney playing the, you know, prototypical wide receiver too, and then have Chase Claypool for the kind of trick plays and end arounds and maybe blowing the top off the defense every now and then, I think that's a great situation. But if we're asking Claypool to step up and be the wide receiver one, we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. Are you going to take the injury discount on Darnell Mooney next year? Like, I agree with you that he's probably not a, you know, does not have number one wide receiver, alpha wide receiver upside, but man, I like him a lot as a number two. 
Yeah, and, and for me, it's going to come down to uh, a few things, but mostly ADP and what the Bears do this offseason. Um, to be honest, I wasn't crazy about Mooney's cost last year, but he did look really good in some flashes. I mean, he had some spectacular contested catches this year that really surprised me that we hadn't seen earlier in Mooney's career. But my fear um, for Mooney, and I guess hope as a Bears fan, is that we go out and get that legitimate wide receiver one. And in that situation, Mooney could find himself third or fourth in the pecking order because Cole Komet led the team in targets last year. I don't think he's going anywhere. The Bears have also talked about how he is a piece to build around. So if we bring in a wide receiver one via trade, have Cole Komet, then you're looking at Darnell Mooney and Chase Claypool fighting for scraps as the number three option on what is likely to be a run first team. I think that pushes Darnell Mooney firmly into that touchdown or bust area where I wouldn't really want to be drafting him unless we're getting him in like the 14th, 15th, 16th round. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, in that sort of situation, he might see a, a target count under 100, even if he plays a full 17 games. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I like the talent a lot, but if they do bring in, uh, you know, they're, I don't know if it's going to be another AJ Brown, but someone who can be that, that primary receiver for Justin Fields. Yeah. Uh, the, target count would be a little bit concerning for Mooney. Um, so yeah, free agency. Uh, we're only about seven weeks away if I'm doing the math correctly. And it's kind of amazing how many good free agent running backs there are going to be this year, Dave, and, and how few good free agent wide receivers are going to be out there. The top free agent receivers, barring any cap-related releases, are probably, oh man, Juju Smith-Schuster, Alan Lazard, Jacoby Myers, DJ Chark. Uh, I'm going to leave Julio Jones off this list because I think he's pretty washed. And I'm uh, going to leave the oft-injured Sterling Shepard off this list. Are you interested in any of Juju, Lazard, Myers, or Chark in potentially new environments? You know, these aren't the biggest, splashiest names, but these are four of my guys. I mean, I don't know what it is about. I know you were that. a Lazard Juju, guy. Yeah. Lazard, Myers, and then Juju Smith-Schuster and DJ Chark, not quite as much, but I'm really big fans of their talent as well. But I think that when it comes down to fantasy value this year, which was what I'm guessing we're talking about right now, it's going to be so very dependent on where they land. I mean, I think the best case for Lazard is that he stays in Green Bay and plays with Aaron Rodgers. He might not be, you know, the wide receiver one that I was uh, hoping his high-end range of outcomes could end up being last year. I think that he has been supplanted as the wide receiver one by Christian Watson, but he's still going to be a volume-based wide receiver two or wide receiver three that you can confidently play every single week. I think Juju at this point in his career, we kind of know what he is, you know, a chain mover with a pretty low ceiling. Shark, um, he's a guy that can stretch the field, and I think for him, depending on where he lands, you know, if he lands in Kansas City, he's immediately a guy that's going to shoot up value. But he could also stay in Detroit and, you know, be uh, behind Jameson Williams and not do much of anything at all. For me, though, Jacoby Myers is a guy that I really, really enjoy. And I think that he can surprise a lot of people next year in a better landing spot. He's finished with above a 22% target share in three straight years now. He's got the size and the skill set to be a wide receiver one on the right team. You know, I talk about these big names that I want landing on the Bears. But if they can't work out a trade for one of those big guys, I'd be A-OK if the Bears give $18 million a year to Jacoby Myers to play that wide receiver one role in Chicago. Yeah, um, and and that's what you're looking for with him, I think. Like the the right pairing in free agency. Like can he go somewhere where he's going to be operating with a first-rate quarterback? And um, yeah, like, I mean, I think there's almost the potential for him to be like a poor man's Keenan Allen if he goes somewhere where the targets are there for him. Um, 
like he's not a guy who's going to make a lot of big plays, probably is never going to score a lot of touchdowns. Although, you know, at least he's shown us that he's capable of scoring touchdowns, which we weren't sure about for a while. Um, But yeah, like, I think he could absolutely be a guy who threatens a hundred catches in the right spot. So um, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. Now, I don't don't want to flip the roles on you here and ask you a question, but so much has been made about the wide receiver two in Buffalo. You know, they went out and they brought back Cole Beasley and John Brown this year when Gabe Davis didn't work out. He seems like a perfect guy that could land in Buffalo, play the wide receiver two behind Stefan Diggs and be that consistent guy that can pick up the first downs. There are so many good landing spots for Jacoby Myers and in an otherwise weak wide receiver class. I think that he's going to end up getting some big offers. Yeah, he'd be an upgrade over Isaiah McKenzie in the slot. Although, like, I'm a big Khalil Shakir fan, and I think, like, the slot is probably his best spot. I mean, I'd, I'd be – part of me would be sad to see Shaquille kind of not get his shot at that because I think he's probably going to edge out McKenzie next year. Actually, I don't even know if McKenzie is under contract next year. Don't have that in front of me. But, um, yeah, that, that would be one interesting spot for him. No question for Jacoby Myers. Um, now, among the running backs due to become free agents, unless they're either tagged or re-signed, Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Miles Sanders, Jamal Williams, Devin Singletary, Kareem Hunt. There are some marquee names here, Dave. And I'm curious about your take on Josh Jacobs. Like he had such an impressive season after a lot of people in the fantasy community had sort of grown tired of him. Will you be interested in Josh Jacobs next year when he'll probably cost you a second round pick? I mean, can I just cop out here and say that I don't even feel comfortable talking about running backs at this point in the offseason? Because of all the names you mentioned, we've also got David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, Rashad Penny, Alexander Madison, Kareem Hunt, Daryl Henderson. I mean, there are so many huge names and we didn't even talk about the rookies that are going to be coming in next uh, this year. So I, it, it is so tough to speculate about running backs right now, but for the sake of discussion, let's say that he lands back in Las Vegas and, uh, you know, they're probably not gonna have Derek Carr, but they've still got Devonte Adams and Darren Waller. And, um, you know, we know that Josh McDaniels likes to get the ball to Josh Jacobs. I think there I'd be a okay sending a spec- second round pick on him, but there are so many options out there. What if he goes to new England and he's in a timeshare with, you know, Ramadre Stevenson, or what if he signs with Chicago and now we got to worry about Justin Fields, you know, taking his goal line touches and uh, Khalil Herbert taking his early down work, or what if he goes to Atlanta and we don't know how targets are and, and everything's going to work out with uh, with Algier and Cordero Patterson. There are so many landing spots that could negatively impact his value that it really makes it hard to speculate this time of year. Um, it, it's just, I don't know if we've ever seen an off season with this sort of surplus of talent at one position through the draft and free agency, there are going to be 20 running backs that are going to be hitting new teams and just shaking up the entire landscape. Yeah. And, uh, you mentioned the rookie class too, and it is a good rookie running back class. Um, we're going to see some interesting running back rooms this year where there are some, uh, you know, signings and draft picks where we don't like the results because it, it crowds out guys we like or, uh, you know, makes for some sort of uncomfortable committees where we were thinking maybe one guy deserves a lead role and clearly won't have it. So, um, yeah, the, the speculation about how backfields are going to shake out is going to be fun. Uh, and then I think it might actually be less fun once these guys land and things get crowded in a lot of places. Yep. Um, so Dave, tell me about the Las Vegas trip you just took with the rest of the football guys team. How many people were there and where did you stay? Uh, there were about 35 of us there. So we had a pretty good showing. Um, 
Joe Bryant rented out the penthouse at Mandalay Bay, so that's where we uh, spent most of the weekend hanging out. But uh, me trying to save a buck stayed next door at the Luxor, which was significantly cheaper. But I won't be making that mistake again because even though they look right next door to each other on a map, it is like a half hour trek to get from one hotel to the other. So I will be staying in Mandalay Bay with everyone else next year. Nice. Uh, is the Mandalay Bay penthouse pretty spectacular? It was nice. Yeah, I got got to be pretty honest. It was uh it was it was awfully nice. You get that uh the view was actually looking right out over the airport, so it was kind of cool seeing all of the planes flying in and out at night, but yeah, it was a pretty nice penthouse. Joe Joe treated us right. Joe always does. Awesome guy. Love Joe Bryant. Um did you gamble, Dave? And if so, what were you playing and and how did you do? Well, I'm not much of a gambler outside of a uh, sports betting, but you know, I figured I'd throw a little bit of money around. And our first night there, we were in Old Vegas. I went to the uh, Golden Nugget and got completely hosed on some of the weirdest rules I have ever seen in my life. You had to pay $2 just to play the blackjack hand. On top of your bet, you just had to pay $2, right? So I'm going through all my $2 chips, finally get down to my last $2 chip, and I just push all of my 50 bucks on uh, one hand in blackjack. And I end up hitting 21, um, not on a blackjack, but I hit 21. So I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to win dealer bus and hit 22. And I'm waiting for my chips to come. And she goes, oh, actually, we have a house rule here. If dealer hits 22, I roll these die. If any cats show up on the die, then you win. I go, what is this? She rolls the die. No cats show up. I lost my 50 bucks. So that was my first night there. But from then on, I stayed hot at the roulette table and actually had one of the best weekends of my life. I came home with enough money to cover my flight, hotel, meals and still had some money left over so yeah good good weekend on the roulette tables oh that's fantastic i'm staying away from the uh cats game at the golden nugget the next yeah time I do not like fall that. for it it was unbelievable <laughs> sounds like they were making up the rules as they went along uh yeah. any memorable meals in las vegas you know, we got in Friday afternoon, um, and then I flew out late on Sunday. So Friday night was when we went to Old Vegas. We got some pizza, nothing too memorable. But outside of that, we were ordering food in and sitting in the penthouse watching football pretty much all weekend. So uh, in and out, ordered pizza. Um, yeah, nothing nothing too memorable, unfortunately. Nice. That's not a bad way to do it. You uh, have the, the penthouse. you got to take advantage. Um, well, Dave, congrats on the Fantasy Sports Writers Association nomination for the Launchpad as uh, one of the best fantasy football podcasts. Take me back to the origins of the show. Like, What made you decide you wanted to start a podcast? Did you have a clear vision of what you wanted it to be? Or did that sort of evolve over over time? Man, this show, really, the launch pad, it started off uh, very much so as a passion project for me. Um, I was talking to a lot of newer people in the industry. You know, I've been in the industry for a couple of years at this point, and I was talking to new people who were looking to get their feet wet, but didn't really know how. So when I started the show almost two years ago, I was kind of in this interesting position where I had been in the industry for a few years and had been lucky enough to make some good and strong connections. But I was also new enough that I felt like I had my ear to the street and knew a lot of the up and coming analysts that were looking for opportunities. So I was just consistently putting shows together on the fly, didn't have a name for it or anything, just grabbing a couple friends, talking football. Um, and then one day I had Matt Waldman and Jeff Bell on the show, and it just sparked an idea. I said, why don't I make this a regular thing? And it has been so fun connecting new people in this industry. Um, so what I try to do is bring on two guests every single week. One is an established analyst like yourself. Pat, and you're going to be on in a few weeks, and then you're going to be coming on with our friend Jay Arsht, who's a little bit newer in the industry and looking to get his feet wet. And, and, and it's been really cool seeing the opportunities that have opened for people that have come through this show. Jeff Bell, for instance, who was on episode one of the Launchpad, 
was then eventually hired by football guys. He's now our dynasty lead, and he actually finished out the 2022 season doing the Audible Thursday night show with Waldman every single week. Alfredo Brown, he uh, did his first live stream ever on the Launchpad. Now he also works at Football Guys and is crushing it. Alex Caruso came on this show when he had around 100 Twitter followers and he had never guested on a show before. Now he's killing it. He's got 70,000-something Twitter followers last I checked. He's working at all these different companies. To be honest, I, I feel like a kid in a candy store. I mean, this show is so much fun getting the opportunity to connect with people and talk football. And it's just a surreal feeling seeing what this show has turned into over the years and just such a tremendous honor to be nominated for this. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's uh, it's like funny that you mentioned, you know, Jeff Bell and Alfredo Brown and Alex Caruso is the up and comers. And it's like, oh, man, I mean, now these guys, to me, at least seem already well established. Like it's hard to... Uh, you know, like the Waldman Jeff Bell pairing sounds great. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I guess maybe Jeff didn't have that many followers at the time or whatever. But like now to me, Jeff is just, you know, such a, a key core guy in the fantasy community. Um, but that's great, man. Congratulations on the nomination. Very well deserved. And uh, I love the show. I'm a fan. Thank you. So, uh, Dave, as, as we enter the off season, who are the players you came out of the 2022 season feeling most conflicted about like, do you have any players who you were just completely stumped uh, about whether you should be in on them or not? Yeah. And and again, so much of this is going to come down to ADP. Um, So this time of year is kind of fun because we kind of predict where we think ADP is going to land. And sometimes we're right. Sometimes we're wrong. One of the players that I'm really struggling with though, right now is Evan Ingram because I have long been a believer in the talent, but I can't feel like he hit darn close to his ceiling this year. I mean, we see tight ends from time and time just turn it on at this point in their careers. I mean, 27 is the breakout age for tight ends. But if he returns to Jacksonville, which seems pretty likely given the success that he founds there, he's going to be competing for targets with Christian Kirk, Zay Jones. Now Calvin Ridley's coming back. Travis Etienne could get a little bit more involved in the passing game. What I really want to do is just say, yep, that's it. Evan Ingram is a tight end one forever and always. Like I've been telling you guys forever. But after years of mediocrity, it's tough to suddenly crown him an elite tight end after his first good year since his rookie season. So I'm really, really conflicted on Evan Ingram. I'm totally with you on him. And, uh, you know, he had this fabulous 2022 season. He had the exciting rookie season with the Giants. And in between, it was just injuries and drops and underachievement and heartbreak. And yeah, like I don't you watch him in 2022 and like you wouldn't even question that he was a top five, top six tight end. But um, you know, we know what came before and it was usually disappointing. So now if you're asking me to spend like a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick in, in redraft, Oh man, I don't know if I can pull the trigger on that. So here are a few of mine, Dave, tell me how you feel about these guys. Just like quick thumbnail thoughts on some of these guys. J.K. Dobbins. Oh, I love J.K. Dobbins. I I don't think I'm too conflicted about him. Um, The only thing I think that could push me off of Dobbins next year would be if they go out and sign one of those marquee guys, you know, uh, Jacobs or Saquon or Sanders, or if they draft, you know, Bijan or or Jameer Gibbs. But um, I mean, we we saw them ride him this year, uh, even when he was far from 100%. He was getting the lion's share of the work, um, ripping off big plays on a bum knee. I mean, he had no speed in the open field, 
couldn't cut on that knee and they were still feeding him. Uh, I, I looked at this a little bit earlier today, actually. Over his final four regular season games, he averaged 14.3 carries and almost 100 rushing yards per game. I mean, he's young. He's a freak talent. Now he's another year off of that knee injury. So Dobbins is a guy that, you know, assuming he falls into that third, fourth round price tag, I think I'm going to have a lot of Dobbins next year. Yeah. Um, so the numbers are always impressive with him. Like the, the thing that worries me about him is like, is he going to work in a uh, an offense that's not run by Greg Roman? Like Greg Roman makes running games go like that's, that's his thing. Um, but then at the same time, like, could he maybe be a little bit more of a pass catcher with a different uh, offensive coordinator? Like it's that, possible. It would be fun. I mean, he's got the chops to do it and we just never yeah, saw it that, in that offense. Right. He showed it at Ohio state that he could do it, that he at least possesses that skill. Um, so yeah, just what happens when the offense changes? That's kind of what I want to know. And and maybe like, I think there's going to be a lot of optimism about him being like healthier a year removed from that major knee injury. And I just wonder if that's going to push the, the price too high. So um, yeah, it, it will depend largely on ADP. What about Damian Pierce? Like I might be, I'm worried that I'm too exuberant about what we saw from him in his rookie year. And uh, you know, maybe I'm just, ignoring the peril of, you know, even if they get a new quarterback, this is not going to be one of the elite offenses next year. And, uh, you know, there's probably going to be more competition than Rex Burkhead and Dare Agumbawale. Yeah, and I I think that's it. I mean, I I don't have a ton of faith in Pierce. He looked great to start the year. I mean, those first few games that he had, he looked unbelievable. But those gaudy efficiency numbers dried up pretty quickly when defenses started to focus in on him. Um, I, I think now that we've seen an entire year in the NFL, we know that he's not, you know, world beating talent. He's a, uh, you know, uh, an above average running back, but at the end of the day, he's just on an awful team. And I think that's what it comes down to for me. Now, if you swapped out Pierce for Clyde Edwards-Alaire or Rahi Moser, Christian McCaffrey, you know, put this guy on an explosive offense, I'd be all in, but he's on the Texans, a team with no identity, firepower, or even a quarterback right now. And from week eight onward last year, that's when we saw Damian Pierce start to slip a little bit. He averaged just 3.8 yards per carry over the second half of the season. His involvement in the passing game was pretty non-existent. So, you know, we, we see this often where these guys get drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth rounds on a rebuilding team, and they see a ton of volume in that rookie year, maybe even year two, but it's only a matter of time before that dries up. Um, you know, this just feels oddly reminiscent to uh, Jordan Howard when I look at Damian Pierce right now. Mm, interesting. Um, one more for you. Deontay Johnson. This is a guy that I don't have an especially strong take on, if I'm being honest here, Fitz. Um, I mean, the numbers tell you that he's a positive regression candidate and then he's going to score more than zero touchdowns next year. If I had to take the uh, over on zero, I'm probably taking it, but I'm just not all that interested in him. Um, when's Kenny Pickett took over? Deontay Johnson kind of lost his job as the wide receiver one to George Pickens and was out-targeted by Pickett. Um, but the the biggest thing with Deontay Johnson that scares, it, scares me and, and this is an eye test thing. So, um, you know, if you're, you're a numbers guy, you can tune out of this. But he just looks like he is terrified of contact. I mean, he has a strong aversion to contact, and he doesn't have the speed to blow the top off a of defense. So what we're kind of looking at is almost like a Tyler Lockett without the big play ability. And I think that what's going to happen is all offseason, people are going to be screaming positive regression. He's going to fall into, you know, fourth, fifth round pick. And I think that I'm out on him at that price. 
Again, this is a guy that's going to come down to ADP for me. If he's getting drafted in the sixth or seventh round, sure, I'll get some shares. But if he's going in the fourth or fifth, I think that I'm going to be out at that price. Yeah, it's funny. Like he and Pickens are like these polar opposite players. Like Deontay is amazingly good at getting open and creating separation and, you know, making himself available to the quarterback. But then, you know, like he's had some drops over the years. And, you know, as you said, he's he's not great after catch and after the catch. Um, whereas Pickens is like this guy who uh, seems like he maybe has trouble separating, but he's amazing at contested catches. And he's kind of a bully when it comes to physical contact. Like he relishes physical contact, even though he's kind of a, a thin guy. Um, so yeah, they're, they're very different receivers, but as you pointed out, um, it did seem like Kenny Pickett was a little more pro Pickens than pro Deontay Johnson, whereas Trubisky, uh, really favored Deontay Johnson. And we know Trubisky is not the future of the quarterback position for the Pittsburgh Steelers for Um, any team, (laughs) (laughs) which as a bears fan, you certainly know full well, um, Dave, I know it's early and there's a lot of evaluation to be done yet. Not to mention, we've still got the senior bowl coming up, combine testing, pro days, et cetera. But do you have any crushes among the incoming rookie class? Yeah, now I don't do a ton of rookie analysis until after the Super Bowl, so I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper. Um, My during NFL season rookie analysis is pretty much hanging out around the house on Saturday, having whatever big game is on TV, but not like proactively watching it the way that I watch NFL football. But then I'll see a play that'll catch my eyes and I'll rewind it. And it seemed like there was one guy that just kept popping out every single time I was watching football this this, this season on Saturdays, and it was Kendra Miller. Uh, from TCU. And and I think what kind of shocks me is you look at him and he looks a little undersized, but he's listed at six foot two fourteen. So if that stands, he's got the size to be in every down back. But I think that he's going to come in a little bit under that at the combine. We'll see. But this kid is a beast in the box. He can just throw defenders, breaks tackles left and right. He doesn't have the long speed that you want to see with a running back, but he's got the chops to be a really intriguing NFL running back. So I'm going to dive in a little bit more here within the next few weeks. But Kendra Miller is a guy that I just seem to consistently, uh, you know, really like what I saw from him. Yeah, a lot of um, really good smaller running backs and receivers coming into the draft this year. So if you are a uh, a sizeist, if you're uh, needing like those those big dimensions to get your blood pumping like maybe this isn't the draft class for you but uh Kendra Miller uh Jameer Gibbs Devon A chain like there are some really exciting smaller backs in this class so uh it's going to be interesting to see how they time and you know if these guys melt stopwatches um I don't know maybe that will get even the sizists enthusiastic about them who do you think should be the 101 in redraft leagues next year I think it's got to be Justin Jefferson. I mean, an ascending 23-year-old talent. Uh, he's probably going to be eyeballing the all-time receiving record again. Uh, I mean, he was just unbelievable. And he did have a few duds this season, which was a little bit shocking. You know, you at look the at the worst overall, times, Dave. At the worst times, yeah. You know, <laughs> week 17, that one really hurt. But then he also had a few early season duds, which may have opened up a buy low window for him if you were really lucky. But that's something that we didn't see with Cooper Cup last year when he had a similar end of year finish. Cooper Cup didn't have a single dud. I mean, he was on every single game. So I could see that possibly scaring people off a little bit that he kind of had. Uh, there was one game against Darius Slay. There was another game against Jeff Akuda, and then week 17 in, fan- in fantasy championships. So that might scorn people a little bit. But I think you got to go with Justin Jefferson. That's who I'm taking number one overall, especially with the uh, the running back injuries we've seen in years past. 
That being said, I think this is going to be a talking point a lot this offseason. You can make a strong argument and a very realistic case for Travis Kelsey. Um, getting up there in age, but I mean, you're getting wide receiver one production with pretty much an RB2 on top of that at the toughest position in football. So I think there's a realistic argument to put Kelsey at that 101. Yeah, that's interesting. And I, I mean, man, the the gap between Kelsey and the rest of the field at tight end is just so steep. And, um, you know, he would have been worth it this year, I think, to get that lock in that production. Because like, you know, Mark Andrews offered really good production early and then faded late. And, you know, we saw some other guys come on, TJ Hawkinson post-trade. Uh, for instance, Evan Ingram, you know, really got going. But um, for the most part, Kelsey was the one guy who just got it done the entire season and, and was just so far head and shoulders above the rest of the pack at that position. It's interesting that you say Jefferson. Like, I think when I was polling people on who should be 101 before the fantasy playoffs, Jefferson was a pretty near unanimous selection there. And I just wondered if that was going to be the case for everyone now that he, I don't know, kind of let a lot of fantasy managers down in the playoffs. Do you think given the, I don't know, the reluctance of a lot of fantasy managers to take a wide receiver in the first round, like in most leagues, uh, when the ADP starts to shake out and people are drafting, uh, you know, they're having their home league drafts in August. Do you think it will be Jefferson or do you think it'll be Christian McCaffrey? It's probably going to be Christian McCaffrey. And then it's probably going to be Jonathan Taylor, Josh Jacobs, Derek Henry. I mean, that's what you see in those home league drafts all the time. But uh, I got to tell you, I've always fallen victim to that where I, uh, you know, in in those home leagues where everybody goes running back, running back, running back off the jump. You know, I was scared of missing out and I would follow that same trend that everybody else in my home leagues was doing. This was the one year where I finally said, you know, when everybody else zigs, I'm zagging. I went zero running back in both of my home leagues this year and made finals week in both of them. So um, I I think that's something that I'm going to be trying to kind of build a foundation on this year. And I did a little bit last year, but I think the most important thing when drafting is just to be water and be fluid. And when people are drafting one way, you try to go in the complete opposite direction. That's something that I did a lot of this year. Um, Shout out underdog, you know, helping me out, get a ton of drafts in during the off season. But that's where I was most successful was going into drafts without a set plan and strategy and saying, let me see how these early picks shape out. And then from there, I'll kind of develop my strategy. And because of that, where people were going running back heavy early, I ended up doing a lot of zero running back builds this offseason. Yeah, I mean, and it seemed like this was a really good year to go zero RB, but I know there are just a lot of people who will never uh, (laughs) entertain the idea of going in that direction, Um, which, you know, some people, hey, they believe that uh, running backs are the engine. I just think, you know, there's a bigger risk with running backs, obviously, the higher injury rates and, uh, you know, like someone is the guy at running back until he's not. And we could see running backs come out of the fog every year and surprise us. And at wide receiver, you get what you pay for. Generally, you do not yep. see guys come out of nowhere and, and turn into like wide receiver ones, wide receiver twos. Just doesn't when, when I when I first got into this industry, I was a hardcore zero wide receiver tout. And this was about four years ago. And I would never draft a wide receiver before rounds four, five, six, you know, get into those mid rounds. That's where I'd start looking at wide receivers. And um, as I've been doing this and diving in a little bit deeper every single year, I found out that the best strategy is just not to have a strategy and just play the board as it falls to you. 
Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, flexibility is key in drafts, no question about it. Um, so, Dave, you're a Bears fan, but you do live in Colorado. Are you going to be back in on Javante Williams next year? I think I already am. I just did a dynasty startup last week, and I got him in the fifth round. I was kind of shocked to see him slide that far. Wow, um, that late. Yeah, and, and I know what the data says about running backs coming off of ACL tears, um, but from what I've seen and heard about his injury, it's that it was a pretty clean tear. There wasn't any additional damage. So we have seen a few cases where guys have returned to form one year after the injury, and considering Javante is young and that he had that injury very early in the season, he's a guy that I'd be willing to take that bet on. And and for me, I think what intrigues me even more than the tackle breaking or anything else was the pass-catching role that we saw last year with Russell Wilson. Through his first three weeks, he had 21 targets, averaging seven targets per game as a running back. Now, I'm not all in on the Broncos by any means, but I'm hoping that after this abysmal 2022 season, I'll be able to draft some pieces of that offense at a discount this year. Yeah, um, you mentioned the involvement in the passing game. That was a really encouraging development, and it was tough to see that end so quickly. But I'm with you, man. Um, Early season injury. Very clean injury, and he's young, so I do like his chances of coming back. Uh, you know, pretty close to one hundred percent next year. Like, I'll have to, uh, you know, I'll have to talk to some of the injury docs in the offseason see if they're on board with me on that one. But um, I'm, I'm pretty bullish myself. Speaking of injury comebacks, I mean, we we saw the the Lions really slow play it with Jamison Williams in twenty twenty two, and maybe that's a good thing. Um, are you as excited about Jamison Williams in 2023 as everyone else seems to be? Yeah, man, I, I really don't know how you can't not be excited for this kid. I mean, he had one catch and it was a 41 yard touchdown and then he had one rushing attempt that went for 40 yards. He had a huge touchdown called back on a on a questionable holding call. Um, I mean, I, I think this kid is just the real deal. He is so fast. Um, even, you know, joining the team midseason with no preseason camp coming off an ACL tear, he still looked like the most explosive player on the field on a team with, uh, you know, Amandra St. Brown and Deandre Swift. He looked like the most explosive player. So, um, I mean, really, I think that his ceiling is getting into that Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson tier. I'm going to be drafting him wherever I can next year. Yeah, I can't wait to see where his ADP lands. Um, you know, I, he has got enough hype men, I think, in the fantasy community that um, I'm, I'm just worried that the price gets too high. You know, uh, like I think it's going to be maybe higher than some people even might suspect. That's my only concern. That so what did you reaches... say about the fourth round? Is fourth round reasonable? I mean, that's oh, typically where you see like the, the wide receiver one rookies getting drafted. And um, I think that's kind of how we'll be evaluating Jameson Williams this year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of what I'm imagining, that it peaks at about wide receiver. Like, yeah, that he gets up to wide receiver two level. And it is about the fourth round. And I... I'm worried that's a little too rich for me, Dave. Just knowing that, you know, Amon Ra is going to be the possession receiver, and I don't know. Maybe I maybe I should be willing to pay that that price. A lot of off season left, man. They could still trade for, uh, you know, Lamar Jackson or Derek Carr or Dak Prescott and really blow this offense up. We'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's not even like quarterback reluctance that's that's concerning me. Like I thought, Goff was a pretty good facilitator this this year, but. Um, yeah, we'll see, man. I, I'm interested to see once the best ballrooms open where Jamison Williams is going in those drafts. Dave, give me the name of one other player you expect to be heavily invested in in 2023. 
man, Justin Fields was my guy last year, and I'm going right back to the well. I, I, I just, uh, I, I can't not draft him. Assuming he's getting drafted in the QB5 or QB6 range, which is what I've seen so far in some best ball drafts, I'm going to have him on just about every single roster. Um, his ADP is looking like it's going to settle in kind of where Jalen Hurts and Kyler Murray were getting drafted this year. And there are certainly some question marks, but with the draft capital and salary cap that the Bears have available this year, I think they make some major moves to surround fields with talent. And if they can get him that wide receiver one that I've talked about a few times on this show now, he can easily finish as the overall QB one. And I'm not saying this lightly, like I'm not throwing a hot take out there. He could actually be the overall QB one. I think a lot of people don't realize that the first four weeks of the season were a joke for the Bears. I mean, the team just wasn't up to speed with the new system, and they were running like this 1920-style offense when nobody really knew what was going on. And then from week five onward, they all of a sudden let the leash out on Justin Fields a little bit, and we saw the Justin Fields that we all kind of fell in love with. Um, from week five onward, he averaged 24.1 fantasy points per game. Only Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen averaged more over the entire season. So if Fields can take even a slight step forward this year, he could be the favorite to finish as the overall QB1. And right now you can get him, you know, after those big names go off the board. And, and I think that we're just looking at such an obvious Jalen Hurts type step forward this season. Would you agree there's zero chance the Bears... Uh keep the number one pick, draft a quarterback, and get rid of Fields? Uh, I mean, you can never say 0% chance. Crazy things happen. Some team might make them an offer that they just can't possibly ignore for Justin Fields, but I, I, I'd say pretty confidently about 99.5%, I'd say that they do not draft a quarterback in the first round. So let, let's say they even don't. Let's say they don't get a good wide receiver one. Let's say they don't improve the offensive line. Let's say they take this $100 million in salary cap and light it on fire. You're still looking at Justin Fields from this year in 2022, and he was putting up 24 fantasy points per game. So that's kind of the floor that you can look at for Justin Fields. And it seems very unlikely that he takes a step back in what's expected to be a better situation last year. So I think that his floor is pretty much a top five QB with a very good potential to be the number one overall quarterback. For the record, do you think they're going to trade the pick or just take a defensive player like Will Anderson or Jalen Carter? In an ideal world, what they do is they trade back and they trade back multiple times. I think that right now what they should do is call up Houston and say, hey, you want to get your guy. Why don't we swap picks and you give us a future first? And then once they move down to two, then they call up Indianapolis or Seattle or Las Vegas, or they call up another team and see what it takes. I think that they have an opportunity, whether they can actually pull it off or not is a different story, but they should be able to trade back multiple times. They could realistically end up with a top 10 pick in the draft and three or four extra first round picks on top of that. I hope that they're making that move. Um, that would be a lot more fun than just drafting uh, uh, Will Anderson. One more quick question about the Bears picking number one, Dave. What was your reaction when the Texans converted that fourth and 20 for a touchdown and then got the two-point conversion to assure the Bears of having that number one pick? Well, my wife and I were watching football together that Sunday. Um, we have been together for almost nine years now, and she said that she has never heard me laugh so maniacally before. She said that <laughs> I just completely lost it. Like when I finally came to after laughing and hyperventilating, because it was just hilarious, like the whole series of events to win that game, the fact that Lovey Smith was a coach for the Texans when it happened. I mean, it it was it was hilarious. And then when I came to after just laughing my head off, I looked over at my wife and her eyes were just staring at me as big as can be. And she's like, I have never heard that laugh come out of you before. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, it had to seem so improbable. Uh, I can't blame you for that maniacal yeah, it? It laugh. It was a fourth and 18 that they converted, I believe. And then they drive down the field, and then they score the touchdown on, what was it, like fourth and 21 or something like that. And then they complete the two-point conversion. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I'm not, you might be right about fourth and 18, Dave, but I actually think it was fourth and 20. Yeah, I like think it was, you, I it mean, was it that was, improbable. Yeah, I, I'd love somebody to go through and crunch the numbers of like, you know, what any given team in those three situations, pulling off all three of them, what the odds are. I mean, it's got to be less than 0.1%. Yeah, it it was just remarkable. One more question before I go, Dave. Uh, Actually, not even a question. Give me the name of a player you're going to avoid in 2023. Uh, This is another guy that was one of my guys in 2022, you know, hyping him up all offseason. But Zach Ertz is a guy that I don't think I'm going to have on a single team next year. Um, I just don't see any situation where I'm comfortable drafting him. He's 32 years old. He's coming off a brutal late season knee injury. Kyler Murray is injured as well. So we don't know who the quarterback is going to be. You got Trey McBride, who showed some promise at the end of the year. He's on the rise. I love Zach Ertz. You know, he was a great guy, whether it was with Philadelphia or Arizona. He has just been one of those few tight ends that you can plug and play for almost the last decade. But um, I'm afraid that we might have witnessed the end of the road for Zach Ertz this year. Yeah, I I have to agree with you. I mean, like he's not going to be super expensive with all the factors you mentioned, but um, there's enough name brand value that he's probably still going to be going ahead of guys he shouldn't go ahead of, like Jelani Woods or maybe even Chigo Conquo. Um, I agree. He's he's looking like a trap. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's Dave Kluge of Football Guys. You can hear him on the Launchpad podcast. You can also find his written work at footballguys.com, of course. And you can find him on Twitter at Dave Kluge. Dave, always great to catch up with you. Looking forward to coming on your show in a few weeks. Thanks for stopping by, buddy. Thank you. Okay, everyone, that's going to do it for this week's show. My thanks once again to our guest, Dave Kluge of Football Guys. Find him on Twitter at Dave Kluge. The producer of Fits on Fantasy is the great Calm Kelly finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by the legendary Milwaukee Ska Band International Jet Set. And last but not least, I want to thank all of you for listening to and supporting the show. I appreciate you lending me your ears, and I hope you'll be back again next week when I will be joined by another great guest. Until then, so long, everyone. See you.